In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. <clears throat> For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Lord God, uh, we pray that as we continue to look into your word, that you would uh, bless by your illumination, by your sanctifying grace, that we, well, as weak vessels, uh, might still redound to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> now, in, in just a little bit, we're going to be ordaining Gil Dykstra as a deacon. And those of you, which is quite a number of you who have been through the Mercy Ministries class, know that I consider the diaconal office to be a very, very important office. It's not just, uh, you know, somebody that can keep grounds or whatever. If you look at the first few centuries, this was one of the most significant re uh, reasons for the outreach of the church. Uh, Henry Chadwick and his history of the church said the mercy ministries of the church that was raised up by the leadership was probably the biggest single human reason for the incredible growth of Christianity everywhere. And uh, it's not something that we can do just by programs. We saw that last week, and it's not something that we can expect the, the leaders to do. Uh, <clears throat> it is uh, God has given the leaders to stir up the people uh, for the work of the ministry. But if the people are not fi on fire for the Lord, there isn't going to be a whole lot you can lead, right? Uh, if we don't catch the vision as a people, it's going to be difficult for the deacons to lead us into the kind of vibrant ministry that God has called us to. Now, the kind of changes that occurred in the first few centuries, when you read the histories there, you can see it was because the manifestation of God's love was seen in the people themselves, and it flowed out of the people into a, a sin-sick uh, world. <clears throat> and so even though this sermon is not directly related to the evangelism series, uh, you're going to be seeing it is absolutely foundational to successful evangelism. And even though it's not directly related to uh, ordaining of a deacon, you'll see that it's foundational uh, to a successful diaconate and a successful body life. <clears throat> now this morning, I'm not going to preach on a theology of prayer or the content of prayer or the methodology of prayer or the motives for prayer. There's all kinds of neat things we could get from this little chapter here. Instead, what I want to do <clears throat> is I want to see what is implied by this prayer about the people themselves. Not just prayers, but the people of the prayer. In verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. He's saying there needs to be a difference in character. Uh, verse 8, Therefore do not be like them. Verses 14 through 15, he says their hearts need to be different. He's talking about a changed character, not simply changed actions. Anybody can change their actions. Uh, pagans can pray. Uh, Buddhists pray. Uh, you know, uh, there's all kinds of people out there that pray, but they do not have the character of the person of this prayer. And if we are to be people of the prayer... <clears throat> Uh, then our prayers will be revolutionized and uh, this church will begin to make uh, a much more significant impact upon Omaha. And it's my prayer, 
And I think the prayer of the diaconate and the prayer of the, the elders that every one of us would become people of the prayer. First, this prayer is a fellowshipper's prayer. The people who pray it have a, a strong bond of relationship with each other. Uh, this bond drives them away from selfish prayer. Uh, they're connected. So they don't, they don't say, me, myself, and I. They say, we, us, our, our Father. He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so the, the one who was praying this prayer is not simply thinking of his own needs. Covenantal thinking is so much a part of him, he cannot but pray for the needs of the body as a whole. And I think that prayer warriors down through history, this has been one of the things, they're driven on behalf of the body. They feel this covenantal connection with the body. The diaconate will not be able to function if the people as a whole are not burdened for the body as a whole. Uh, if the church is not a body that pulls together for the cause of Christ, there will be little interest in following the, the leadership of these deacons or any future deacons that may be coming. Uh, when we pray rightly, it changes the thinking about who we are. Now, it's true. God does hear the prayers of individuals. I'm not saying that he does not do that. But I really like the way that Thomas Manton worded it when he said, <clears throat> the individual prayers are like the single hairs of Samson. But the prayers of the congregation are the, like the whole of his bushy locks wherein his strength lay. And what he was saying there is the church can be completely sapped of its strength and its spiritual vitality if it opts for individualism as opposed to covenant theology where we see ourselves as bound together in Christ. I think this is one of the things that makes a huge difference between the church in China and, and America or the church in Korea and in America. Uh, there is this strong sense of identity with the body of Christ. It's a fellowshipper's prayer. So first question, are you fellowshippers? How covenantal are you in your thinking? Is your first impulse I, or is your first impulse we? Now related to this is the expectation that we'll be a part of a family. He says, our Father this is a family prayer, and yet it's not so much a, uh, a house church prayer because the hour is much broader than just the nuclear family. You and I are related. We are tied together with spiritual bonds that cannot be broken. Now, we can try to be separate, but it's only to our hurt. We are bound together in a family by God's Holy Spirit. This is not the unity of a corporation. It's not the unity of a football team. This is a spiritual family that God is knitting together. Now, it's true, you can come to God as a beggar, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, any one of us can be generous with beggars, but it's much less likely that you will be as generous with a beggar as you are with your sons and daughters, Right? It's the realization that we're part of a family and God truly is our Father that gives us boldness in coming to the throne in grace and it helps us also to look out for the family, the family interests as a whole. And this is why the 
In the diaconate, the spiritual family needs take priority over the needs of unbelievers. Now, we give money, and the diaconate has over the years given money to those who are unbelievers, but there needs to, how does the, the Scripture word it, Rodney, uh, do good to all men, especially to those who are the household of faith. There is a priority within the family uh, that exists. Third, <clears throat> this prayer assumes a passion for God's holiness. It says, hallowed be your name. That means, may your name be held in holiness. May it be held in sanctity. Now, there are two applications that I want to make on this. And the first is that this implies that God has put within our hearts a desire uh, to see God's name hallowed, sanctified out there in the world. Uh, it should make us very troubled when we see God's name being trampled into the mud uh, out in the world. We can't just say, oh, well, that's just the world. No, we've got to say, hallowed be your name, Lord. It bothers me that your name is not hallowed out there, which means immediately this is going to drive us into evangelism and it's going to drive us into social action and in, in transformation of culture. And the diaconate is a part of the raising up of people to be able to do that. It's, it's providing uh, some, uh, some uh, leadership and some cohesion uh, to our efforts. The second application is that we must never uh, uh, get over the desire to have God's name hallowed in absolutely everything that we do. Internally, not just externally, internally. Well, this again affects how we relate to each other in the church. We should desire to be personally holy. We should desire that the church be holy. Uh, we, we should desire that our actions be honoring to God between husbands and wives and parents and children. First uh, Peter 3 verse 7 says that uh, husbands' prayers will be hindered if they're not reconciled with their wives. Uh, <clears throat> Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Uh, the Puritan Thomas Brooks once said, If you would have God hear you when you pray, you must hear Him when He speaks. And so this, this prayer implies a, a holy prayerfulness and a prayerful holiness. Uh, and this can only happen as we're secure in the grace of Christ. That's what makes us saints. And as we begin to live like saints by His power. We don't earn it. We receive it. Next phrase, your kingdom come, implies not only that we are subjects of a king, but it implies that things are not as they should be in this world. Uh, the world out there is not uh, characterized by God's kingdom principles as they ought to be. There's a need for God's kingdom to manifest itself in, on the earth. And so one of the things that I've taught our children is while we must always be content with God, we must have a holy discontentment about the state of the world. Why? Because God does not want the world to stay the way that it presently is. We're praying, no, Lord, your kingdom come more and more in my life, in my family, in this world. Uh, this should be a passion for us to see uh, transformation happening. And there are seven different views that people have on how the church relates to the world. There's those who escape from the world. There's those who compromise with the world. And there's other views. But the Reformation view was, by God's grace, we seek to go out and transform the world. We're praying as we go, Lord, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. We desire your kingdom in this world.
There was a guy who asked the former uh, chaplain of the Senate, uh, Edward Everett Hale, if he prayed for the senators, and he said, no, when I look at the senators, I pray for our country. (laughs) And basically what he was saying, when I look at the senators, I pray, your kingdom come, Lord. Things are not as they should be in the Senate. And no matter what your sphere of life, this should be the passion of your heart, your kingdom come. When you've got that kind of a passion, then the the deacons and then the elders are going to have something uh, to be able to work with. Well, God's kingdom comes by His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the fifth point is that this is a servant's prayer. Now this is interesting because I just finished saying it's a child's prayer. We're children. We're sons and daughters of our great king. We can have intimacy and fellowship with him. And yet here we're supposed to be doing his will. It's a servant's prayer. And yet if you look at the apostles, you'll see that they held those together without any sense of tension. Yes, in terms of privilege. We're sons and daughters. And yet, we need to have a humility that says, Lord, your will be done in my life. I'm not the boss, you are. I want to be your servant. I want to be your servant. Now, this is so appropriate for the uh, ordination service of a deacon. What does the word deacon mean? It means a servant. What does the word minister mean? I'm called a minister. Same means servant, okay? I'm a servant of the Word. There are servants of, you know, the Word, but of other things as well. We're all servants of the Lord God Most High. We get used to thinking of minister must mean somebody who's the boss, you know. No, minister means servant. Deacon means servant, and every one of us are servants of God as well. Now, what does it mean when we're asking, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Now, think about that for a moment, because In heaven, the angels are perfectly carrying out God's will. Satan's been cast out. He's no longer the accuser of the brethren up there. There is no sin in heaven. Uh, There is just a perfect following of God's will, a delighting in God's will. And so this is an incredible vision that he is asking us to pray for. Lord, we want the same kind of righteousness on earth as is happening in heaven. And of course, this is what is prophesied will happen one day, that righteousness will fill the earth and the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the ocean beds. Now, Warren Wearsby once said, the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. That is exactly right. And yet so many times we turn prayer completely on its head and we make God out to be a cosmic bellboy who's there to be at our beck and call. And actually a lot of people transfer that attitude over to the deacons and to the elders. You know, you're cosmic bellboys at our beck and call. You've got to do what we need to do. And God says, no, we are all servants to carry out God's will. And uh, the, the people who who are uh, uh, the people of this prayer, delight to serve with the deacons and delight to serve with the elders in the ministry of the Word, which means you guys are all deacons. You guys are all ministers. Isn't that what Ephesians says? We're equippers of the saints for the work of the ministry. And the grammar there indicates it's the saints who are doing the work of the ministry. We're all ministers in God's kingdom. John Owen said, He who prays as he ought will endeavor to live as he prays. He has a servant's heart. He is gripped more by God's interests than he is his own interests. Now think about it this way. 
We do have needs that we have to present before the Lord, but when you're praying for health, your goal should be, Lord, I desire health because there's so many things that I want to do for you and my health is dragging me down. I'm praying this as a servant. When we pray, Lord, give me a great vacation uh, this next week. Actually, it's not this next week, two weeks, right? Give me a great vacation out there fishing. The, the desire should be, Lord, I want to be in obedience to your word that I'm not nothing but work. I want to relax, but I want to refresh my body so that it will be in a better position to continue to serve uh, the Lord. It doesn't matter. Any of our personal needs, we're asking them as a means to the end of seeing God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this should be our heart's cry. And this, this is, I tell you, if you want to make the elders and the deacons of this church thrilled and happy beyond measure, make it your heart's cry that this is a meaningful prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may your will be done in my life. I give myself as a servant to you. If you have that heart's cry, I tell you, this will be a smoothly functioning church. It'll be a wonderful church to serve with. Now, that does not mean we can't bring our needs, as I've already hinted at that. God delights in His children coming before Him. Servants have needs, children have needs, and He says, come, just ask. You have not because you ask not. So this says, give us this day our daily bread. What He is saying is that we are servants, we are children who are totally dependent upon God. Now, here is the problem in America. We have been wealthy for so many generations this phrase here means nothing to us. Give us this day our daily bread. We've we got our cupboards full. We've got enough food for the next year, right? Give us this day our daily bread. It's hard for that to really make sense to us. And yet, you know what? God could wipe away all of your food supply in one day. He could send a flood. He could burn it up. He could send a nuclear bomb to, uh, to um, uh, you know, all of a sudden make the, 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 the communication sectors across this nation fall down. But we need, even in the midst of our wealth, to have this sense of dependence. Lord, I would not have the food I need if it was not for you. And I thank you for the abundance that you give. But I know I am a dependent upon you. I am not independent. I love you and I bless you for what you have given to me. Now, if you think that these deacons can do great things without the Lord's help, you don't have a clue. Uh, we are in deep trouble. If you think we as pastors do not need your prayers, we are in deep trouble. <laughs> uh, because we can accomplish nothing without Christ's help. We are constantly dependent upon the Lord. Uh, in effect, prayerlessness is a sign of pride that says, Lord, I don't need your help. I'm not a dependent. I'm independent. And uh, I can take care of myself. So if our evangelism is to have success... We must be on our knees. If the deacons are to have success, we must be on our knees. Seventh, this is a sinner's prayer. Thank God that this is a sinner's prayer, which means every one of us, no matter how we have fallen in the past week, can pray this and can know that the Lord delights in offering us offering it up. 
forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, recognizes our spiritual bankruptcy. We got such a huge debt. There is nothing we can do to pay it off. All we can do is ask, forgive us our debts, which means it's going to take away judgmentalism where we point the finger at people who have wronged us because we realize, hey, I've wronged God so many times, I don't dare point the finger at people who have wronged me. Uh, This is a sinner's prayer. A person who prays this prayer with real meaning is not going to have a holier-than-thou attitude because he's going to realize the depth to which he is debted to God. And uh, he's going to appreciate God's grace by being gracious himself. Uh, Graciousness is treating other people better than they deserve. Right? Better than they deserve. I find it interesting that the very first command to pray in the New Testament is a command to pray for our enemies. Very interesting. That's hard for people to do. Pray that God would bless our enemies. But he's wanting us to to come to a realization we were all once enemies. And we need to manifest the same kind of grace that God demonstrated to us. And we're much less likely then to uh, to be judgmental. And so the person of this prayer has humbled himself in an awareness of uh, what a sinner he is. He's a saint. Why? Because he's clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But he's a saint who needs to continue to grow. He's going to continue to fall uh, over time. And so uh, he's, he needs the forgiveness of the Lord. And the greatest prayer warriors have been those who have been keenly, keenly aware of their own sinfulness. Eighth, this is a traveler's prayer. Christ tells us to pray, and do not lead us into temptation. Now, the word lead implies we're going somewhere, okay? He's leading us, and it's also recognizing, Lord, there but for the grace of God go I. I can so easily veer off into the wrong pathway. I can fall into temptation so easily. And so it's saying, Lord, lead us in the paths of righteousness, and that implies I've not yet attained fully to righteousness or holiness. So we're on a pathway. We got a big sign written across us. Be patient with me. God has not finished with me yet, right? But this is not my Father who art in heaven. It's not in the the singular. It's in the plural. So forgive us our debts is giving the same grace to all of the other believers that we hope that they will give to us. I'm going to be patient with you because God has not finished with you yet. This is a traveler's prayer. None of us has arrived. So I think you can see when you, when you focus on what kind of people is this prayer really uh, implying, if we as a church had these characteristics, it would be so much easier for deacons and elders to do their jobs. Okay, ninth, this is a warrior's prayer. One of the chief obstacles to God's will being done on earth is that we've got opposition from Satan. And in our opposition to Satan, prayer is a key, key weapon. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to give prayer cover to your deacons and to your elders. Uh, They can be the weak link because Satan always comes after the leaders of a church. He tries every way he can to undo them and to undermine them. Uh, He does everything he can to destroy a church by destroying the leaders. Uh, He uh, maybe will undermine them like Absalom, or divides them like Adonijah, 
or he discourages them like the ten spies, or he accuses them. But Satan is going to be at work to try to destroy the effectiveness of all of your leaders. So be on your knees on their behalf. And so this is a warrior's prayer. He says, deliver us from the evil one. Why do we need to be delivered? Well, it's because he's constantly after us. He wants to ensnare us as leaders. He wants to ensnare you as uh, members of the church. Martin Luther, in one of his table talks, said, Prayer is a strong wall and fortress of the church. It is a goodly Christian weapon. But that that implies we're using the weapon. It implies we're warriors. We're willing to be warriors. We're willing to study spiritual warfare. We're willing to take seriously the effort of warfare. A warrior doesn't wimp out, okay? He implies we're going to be warriors. In fact, Paul says, striving together with me in prayer. The word striving is wrestling. It takes effort to be able to pray as we ought because Satan hates prayer. He knows prayer is the foundation of the Lord's blessing in the church. He will do everything he can. He will appeal to your flesh and your flesh will fight against prayer as well. And so uh, you're going to be sometimes requiring warfare to even get into prayer. And then you're going to require warfare in your prayer. But warfare is going to be part and parcel of our walk. Andrew Murray, in his book, The Ministry of Intercession, said, Surely of all the gifts of the early church for which we should long, there is none more needed than the gift of prayer. When Peter was kept in prison, prayer was made without ceasing of the church. Peter was delivered. Stone walls and double chains, soldiers and keepers and the iron gate all gave way before the power of prayer from heaven. That prayer brought down the rescue. The whole power of the Roman Empire, as represented by Herod, was impotent in the presence and power of the church of the Holy Spirit yielded in prayer. Brothers and sisters, and even children, I urge you, learn to be warriors. Be warriors in spiritual prayer. Last half of verse 13 indicates that the one who prays this prayer is a devoted lover. He wants to step out of the limelight and let God receive the glory. That's what a devoted lover does. He's so thrilled with God. He says, Lord, I want you to receive the glory. He's not just thinking about himself. Verse 13, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And amen means so be it. I agree with it being yours, Lord. I don't want to receive the glory and the thing that I'm doing here. I want to do it in a way where people praise you, not where they praise me. I want to stand out of the limelight because I love you. I am devoted to you. Now, there's two spiritual gifts that deacons uh, frequently uh, uh, have one or the other of these, and it's usually one or the other. The, The first one is the gift of service, and the second one is the gift of helps. Now, the gift of helps is one of the most remarkable gifts of the whole listing because This person, I think, is closest to the heart of the Holy Spirit in that he doesn't want any credit. In fact, he feels so uncomfortable when he's put into the limelight. He feels the most delighted, the most satisfied, the most um, appreciated when his efforts have helped another person succeed. And that person's off in the limelight, and he feels good. I've succeeded in the thing that God's called me to do, the gift of helps. 
But if we had a church that was full of people who had either the gift of service or the gift of helps, what could not our church do in this city? It would be a remarkable thing. It would be a delightful thing for the leaders to be working uh, with you on that. Unfortunately, many times we don't think like a devoted lover. We don't think about God's glory uh, in, in our praying. We're thinking, what do others think about uh, what I'm praying? Uh, what does it sound like to them? Uh, we have a hard time just focusing on the Lord. Our flesh is always drawing us uh, down. It's like the father who had invited some guests over, and for some reason, he didn't usually do this, he asked his son if he would give grace at the table. And the son was very bashful and says, Daddy, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. And the mother chimed in and says, That's okay, son. Just, just repeat what you've heard me say. And so the son obediently bowed his head and said, Oh, Lord, why did I invite these people here on a hot day like this? <laughs> uh, now, they were royally embarrassed. But which is worse, a prayer like that or a prayer that's just a ritual that we're going through? We don't really mean it. True prayer is a love relationship with Father God. It's a love relationship with Him. What does a lover do? He wants to glorify God. Okay, that's his passion, to glorify God. One last characteristic of the person of this prayer is that he is a person of faith. For people to be able to say, for yours is, present tense, for yours is the kingdom in this chaotic, sin-messed-up world takes real faith. That God's kingdom actually is growing, is uh, advancing invincibly. I mean, it takes faith uh, to believe that. But uh, really, every petition in this prayer is a manifestation of faith in God's promises. When I was in my first year of Bible school, I heard a story about uh, an African church where they'd had drought for quite some time, and they gathered a prayer meeting to um, ask for rain. And when the pastor showed up at the prayer meeting, he was embarrassed to discover he was the only one not carrying an umbrella. And so prayer is asking for rain. Faith is bringing the umbrella. Okay? How many times do we pray without real faith? E even this, um, this morning, I was rebuked by the Lord for the number of times I make negative affirmations which shows the doubt in my heart, not the true faith. It was Proverbs um, 10, verse 24, I believe it was, where it says, the dread of the wicked will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted to him. Okay, when our desire, which is reflected by faith, is persistently in the Lord, He loves to bless us. You know, Job, even though he wasn't a wicked, it says, what I feared came upon me. And fear, which I tend to be prone to, and anxiety, is a kind of faith. It's an inverse faith, and it demands to be fulfilled. How many times do we, we talked about this yesterday, use Murphy's laws as the, the governing factor in our lives? You know, when it rains, it pours. If you butter bread on one side and you drop it, it's always going to land butter side down. And what it's really denying is that God cares for believers and loves to bless believers above and beyond what the laws of anything out there might, might say. 
being people of faith. Years ago, I used to read uh, Our Daily Bread for Devotions, and one of the little sayings that it had was, when the prayer of faith goes to market, it always takes a basket. Do you take a basket with you, expecting God to fill it up? Let's take baskets with us as we pray for these deacons. And by faith, let's expect God to begin to explode things in our church and in our city. Let's expect huge amounts of money in the diaconal fund. Okay, let's expect conversions in our evangelism. See, this prayer is more than just actions. This is telling us something about who we are, or at least who we should be. And so next time you pray this prayer, you might offer up a little prayer before the Lord. Lord, I know how faithless my heart really is. So as I pray this prayer, by your grace, help me to be a person of this prayer. And may each of the elders and the deacons be people of the prayer who will be powerfully used to advance his kingdom down here below. May it be so, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of prayer, but thank you even more for the way in which you turn us into prayer warriors by the power of your grace. May each one here uh, be so filled by your Spirit and become so uh, profoundly the people of this prayer that it would be a sheer joy for the deacons to lead them, a sheer joy for the elders to lead them into ministry whether it's ministry of the Word or ministry of mercies or uh, any other area, make us people of the prayer, Lord. And to you be all of the glory and the honor and the praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.